Good morning. Welcome to the open door, and we're so thankful to have you here today. And just having that opportunity to just worship the Lord and be reminded as that last verse that we sung, Jesus, you are good. Can you think about that just for a moment? How good Christ is and how good he's been to us. By his precious blood, by his broken body, we reap the goodness that God has for each and every one of us. And we're reminded of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave Jesus, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's something to be thankful about and to give God praise about. Amen? See, I had the uh, pleasure and the honor last night uh, to see Miss Joyce, Donna Taylor's mom, go to be with Jesus. You know, as she took her last breath in this world, and entered into eternal life. And everyone that was standing around her, of course, they were gonna, they're going to miss her. And, they, you know, it's going to grieve the parting. Parting has such sorrow. But there's a sweet release that we were all reminded of. That because of Christ and his goodness, she entered into the presence of God. His sweet release. And God has that for each and every one of us. That we would receive his kingdom, and we receive eternal life because of what Jesus did. Amen? And we can praise God for it. So I ask you to encourage uh, Donna and, and her family as they uh, continue to mourn the passing of Miss Joyce, but also rejoice in the newness of life that we have in Christ. Amen? And so I, I want to share with you today and just spend some time. Uh, I've been thinking about uh, this a little bit, and there's a visual that I have for you. So I want everybody to visualize this, okay? Just kind of think about this in your mind. Think about the best meal that you've ever had. Think about what you just, you know, it's your favorite. You just love it, okay? And, uh, and, and, and you go to a buffet and you're just, you're just packing it on. Nobody in here has done that, right? You know, just packing it on. You put everything on your plate. And I have some people in my family that when they go to buffets, they like to just, you know, there, there's not a whole lot of room on the plate. It just gets pretty full and it gets high, and there's a lot on the plate, right? But then there are those of us in the family that we like to, you know, keep our food separate. You know, we like to, we like to have space. We don't like it to run into each other so that we can savor and taste every bit of it. One of the greatest inventions that were ever created, and I figured this out, in elementary school. In elementary school, they gave me this tray. Anybody remember that? And this tray had cuts and, sl and slots in it where all my food could go in different spots and they would never touch each other. <laughs> I loved that tray. If I could have a tray now, I would want one. So that tray allowed us to set apart our food. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. Not so much about the food, but is he set apart? It's the title of our message today, Is He Set Apart? Because just like in that buffet, if we pack on so much, the flavors start running together. And we can miss that sweet, sweet savor that we're supposed to have in the one. Because we'll allow him to be right there with everything else. When the Bible says and reminds us by the words that Peter penned, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Set apart him in your hearts. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your tablets or your uh, 
phone, I'd ask you to turn with me to 1 Peter, the third chapter, the 15th verse. That's going to be our scripture reference for today. And the title of this message is, Is He Set Apart? Is He Set Apart? 1 Peter, third chapter, verse 15 reads, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks of you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you for this day, Lord. We know that this is the day that you have made, and we can rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we ask you to speak to our hearts. Help us to hear your engrafted word that's able to save, deliver, and set free. Lord, if there's anyone here that is not sure of their salvation, not sure that they've made Jesus the Lord of their life, that this would be the day that they would cry out to him and receive him as Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your engrafted word. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. Is he set apart? Is he set apart? Now let's take a moment and just kind of do a little uh, uh, a back view of Peter and his background. We know that Peter was one of the 12 disciples. Peter was a fisherman that Jesus saw and that he called him and he said, come and follow me. We know as we kind of look over the scriptures and we see the experiences that he had with, with Jesus and the other 12 disciples, that we would probably say that Peter was a pretty charismatic guy, that he uh, was very outgoing, that he would uh, uh, speak when others didn't want to speak, and that he would uh, be presumptuous enough that he could get out of the boat and walk towards Jesus on the water. Amen. Uh, and so we see this guy that seemed to be outwardly have it all together. But we know that Peter also had some challenges and some struggles to where when he was getting out of the boat and walking on the water, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he immediately started to sink. And so we think about that even when Peter told Jesus that he would never betray him. And we remember as Jesus was being convicted he was being tried and convicted and then crucified, that Peter was the one that when the rooster crowed three times, he had denied Christ already three times. And so we see that in the scriptures and we say, here's this guy, Peter, that was up one day and down the next. And so I want to just take some time and to go back and we're going to look at two viewpoints here. We're going to look at first Peter that shows us a viewpoint of the hindsight of having Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that he had already at this point, you know, went to the cross, died for Peter's and each and of our sins. He had already been ascended. And then now we see in, in 1 Peter that at the time Peter wrote this letter, that he had probably been, you know, about 30 years serving the Lord, about 30 years of his faith walk after the ascension of Christ. And so this is right, you know, before the time of his death. We know that he's writing these letters to the five regions of Asia Minor. And so he's gathered some experiences. He's gathered some understandings that he may didn't have when we look at in Matthew, the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter, when he was just beginning to walk with the Lord. And so it's a good uh, opportunity for us to spend some time just reflecting on this. What it truly means to have Christ set apart in our heart. So turn with me uh, also to the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter, and let's just examine that a little bit. 
and we're going to begin at the 13th verse. And here we have a time where Jesus is, he's kind of walking and talking with the disciples, and he asks them a question. He asks them this very question, who do men say that I am? And so they respond in a way they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say that you are Elijah, even those, there are those that say you are Jeremiah. And so as they continue to walk, we move down a little bit and we see in the 15th verse of that same chapter, Matthew 16, he asks the disciples a question. He says, but whom do you say that I am? See, it's one thing for other people to say who Christ is. It's one thing for others to say what a Christianity is all about. But who do you personally say that Christ is? Who is he in your heart? Who is he in your life? And so he asks his disciples this, whom do you say that I am? And we know that Peter uh, was probably one of the first ones to jump up. And he says, thou art the Christ, in verse 16, the Son of the living God. And so, so Peter makes a profound statement. He makes a, a revelation statement uh, that he says, you are the Christ. And what that means is you're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the only begotten Son of the living God. In other words, he was saying that that Christ means, when it says anointed, means you're king. You're Lord. He said, Jesus, I know who you are. You're king. You're Lord. You are God's son. And you're deserving of us to follow you. And you know, Jesus gets all excited and he said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And so it's an exciting time. You know, Peter got it right, but then we move on just a little bit. And so God, Jesus goes on in the 18th verse, and he says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we ask the question, what rock is he talking about? He's talking about upon disbelief, upon making Jesus Christ the anointed one in our lives, upon making him the Lord, the master of our lives. Upon disbelief, he'll build this church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. And so we go on uh, and he talks about giving the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. So there is some authority that comes with receiving and knowing Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, as the master of our soul. And then, but then he charged them, don't, don't tell anybody, because some people, you know, just can't handle truth right now. But it's coming. And then look at verse 21. From that, from that time forth, he began. So now Jesus, once we get this understanding of who he is, now he was able to share some things with him that he never shared with him before. Look at verse 21. From that time forth, he began to show unto his disciples. Didn't just say, but he was showing them how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So now we're taking the head knowledge, and now the disciples are hearing and seeing that Jesus is going to be crucified, that he's going to be slaughtered, that he's going to be murdered, 
that he's going to be broken and bloody and destroyed in his physical body. And so that stirred Peter up so much, and we look at verse 22. Then Peter took him. Think about that. Peter not, but just a little bit farther, a little bit before, said, you are Christ. You are the anointed. You are my Lord. And then he took Jesus. Now, Ethan, you know I love you, right, brother? We're just talking about visuals here today. And Ethan is kind of bulky, but I just want to illustrate this a little bit. That he took him. That he took him. Can you imagine that? And began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from the Lord. Be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. See, Peter, for a moment there, he kind of switched roles. Instead of Jesus being Lord of his heart, he became Lord of Jesus. And if we're not careful in our own walk and in our own life, we can treat Jesus like we're his Lord. We can expect him to meet all of our commands and our requests and forget that he is our Lord. Look at verse 23. But he, but he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me. We see a staunch difference between the beginning, who do you say that I am, to get thee behind me. Now, Jesus wasn't so much saying that to Peter, but the belief that the control of the world that Satan tries to have over each and every one of us, Jesus said, get behind me. That will not control God and Lord, get behind me. That you are not greater, that the world is not greater than Jesus, our Lord. That you have to step back when it comes to Jesus, our Lord. So we see that happening here with Peter. And we say, man, Peter kind of messed up a little bit. And we see this a little bit of up and down with Peter. Because Peter had the head knowledge, but he was missing the heart, the heart knowledge of allowing it to get down in his heart, rooted and grounded in his heart. And so we see this as Peter is growing in his understanding of who Jesus is, that he has the head knowledge, but it needed to translate down into his heart. And so he goes on, he sees Jesus being crucified, he sees Jesus die, he sees Jesus rise from the grave, and he even sees Jesus ascending unto heaven. And he spends the next 30 or so years proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's learned some things through that time. He's, he's grown and he started to develop. And over that time, there was a sanctification that started to occur, not just in him receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. And now he has the spirit of God living on the inside of him. But now his mind, will, and emotions were being transformed by the will of God through Jesus Christ. It was being sanctified. Remember an example of that when he talked about no unclean meat will pass my lips and God said to him through the word and through others, don't call unclean what God has called good. Don't treat other people like they're unclean when God came for all mankind. He sent Jesus Christ for all. 
And so Peter learned some things. And so now we move back to 1 Peter, the third chapter. So the question for today is, is he set apart as your Lord? Is he set apart as your Lord? Because most of us would say and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says to us that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every single one. Every person on the earth at one day will confess that Jesus is Lord. But is he your Lord? See, that, that's what separates God's kingdom, God's people from the ungodly. Is he your Lord? This past week, I celebrated my 30th uh, spiritual anniversary, and I thank you so much for the reminder and the cake and everyone that, that uh, uh, just rejoiced with me because July 31st, 1989 was a tremendous day of rejoicing for me because you see at 16, you know, I felt God speaking to my heart. I felt him saying, Jeff, I want to be your Lord. But what I heard, all I heard is I need a savior. See, we're not, if we're not careful from the pulpit and from others, we can talk a whole lot about being saved, and we can leave out making him Lord. See, Jesus was very clear about that. We even see in Romans, the 10th chapter, it says that whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When we call him as Lord, we shall be saved. And so at 16, you know, knowing that I needed Jesus Christ, you know, I, I, I ran up there and I raised my hand and I accepted him as Savior, but I didn't understand what it meant for him to be my Lord. So for the next four years, I kind of just lived the way I wanted to live. I didn't understand the what next. But on that weekend of July 31st, when I still could over those four years, I, from time to time, I would feel the pricking of God saying, am I going to be, you know, are you going to keep me on that buffet plate with everything else? And that idea of priority that school was important to me, military was important to me, my girlfriend was important to me, Jesus was kind of important to me, we were all on, it was all on the same plate. And I hadn't separated him out in my heart. But on that day, man, I felt God saying, Speaking to me in a mighty way, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. See, it's important to understand what that means. It says sanctify means to set apart. The Lord God means Christ as Lord of your life, in your heart. And so at the moment I made that decision, God didn't waste any time. He didn't waste any, any, any uh, delay. He just came like a mighty rushing wind. And I felt him. I felt him as Lord. And he said, now follow me. And so it's important that we understand that. So I want to take a moment to review what Peter had learned as he's penning and writing 1 Peter. Look with me in 1 Peter, the third chapter. See, sometimes when we look at this book, we focus on, well, he's talking about wives. He's talking about husbands. <laughs> and we run to this book to show our spouse or somebody, see what it says? When really what Peter is doing is he's covering all of his bases. 
He wants to remind us the importance of surrender. So we see in the first verse of chapter 3, he says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. See, let's understand what that word means. It means to be next after, to be under, to arrange ourselves. See, this is a great privilege that a woman has, that a wife has, to surrender themselves to Jesus as Lord by arranging themselves next to their husband, and even almost individual after their husband. See, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. See, the Bible says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made of himself no reputation. He humbled himself and became like man. He's a God, but he humbled himself. He put himself next after God. And he's asking us to do the same thing. Husbands, you don't get off the hook because now he moves to the husbands and we look farther down in verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor into the wife. That word honor brings the same symbol that we sacrifice, that we surrender ourselves, that we honor, we lift up. See, with the wives, go alongside. Allow yourselves to be under. With the husbands, lift up honor. And so he's given us this idea of what it means to allow him to be the Lord of our lives. And then he goes on in verse 10 to say, for he that will love life and see good days, let him reframe his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. He goes on to say, let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. So he's talking about these practical things to do. Look at verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good, that you're a follower, that you're a disciple, that you're following after that which is good? And remember, he said in his word, he says, there is none good but God. And so he's reminding us to follow after. So he goes on to say after those very words, but if, but And if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. And so why did he say that? Because of the next point that we're talking about in verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. But set us apart, Christ as Lord. Let him be your lordship. Let him be your supreme power and rule, and it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what the devil tries to do. It doesn't matter how he tries to come against us. God will prevail in and through us. And he says, and be ready always to give an answer as we're going through trials, as we're making him the Lord of our lives. We're going to go through things, and then it's going to allow us to be ready to give an answer of the hope and the glory that's in us. People are going to see that, and they're going to say, why are you so humble? Why are you submitted to the things of God? And then you're able to respond because he is my Lord. He, Jesus, is good. And then you can put some personality to that. Jesus has been good to me. I don't know about anybody else, but I know that he's been good to me. He's been better to me than I could have ever have been to myself. And as Jacob said, I'm going to hold on to him till he bless me. Because he already has. 
I'm already blessed beyond measure. I'm just going to continue to hold on to me. And because he's a good God, because he's holy, he can't but bless. Give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. See, that meekness and fear means humbleness and reverence. That we're not patting ourselves on the back. We're not saying, look at all that I've done, but look at all he has done. Look at his amazing grace, his unmerited favor upon me, and give him glory. Because if it wasn't for God on my side, where would I be? And why does he want us to sanctify him in our heart, to move all those other things to a lower priority and make him the priority in our life? the priority in our heart for this very reason. David said it in Proverbs 4, 23. He says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Have you ever met somebody that, you know, and I know a few of us have probably said it before, made that statement, I almost lost my religion. They got on my last nerve. And maybe there's times, I would tell you, well, during, that, during that period of time and even probably shortly after, I would say that Jesus is my Lord. But when something came up that was really ugly or nasty to me, I responded ugly and nasty. See, my words didn't line up with my actions because I hadn't hidden him in my heart. Because out of the heart comes the issues of life. Whatever's in the heart... That's what's going to come out. If we curse like a sailor 20 years ago and we still curse like a sailor today, there's probably a heart issue. Because we can't help but transform when we allow Jesus to be priority. We allow him to be our heart. That we move from just calling him Savior to calling him Lord. So I want to spend some time talking about that. What it means for Christ to be Lord and not just Savior. See, Jeff Clark gave us three aspects. He wrote an article in Christian Week. I just want to share some of those thoughts with you. See, Jesus as Savior emphasizes our sins are forgiven. But Jesus as Lord emphasizes a reorientation in our life, which includes our sins are forgiven. I'm no longer the king of my domain. Jesus is. This reorientation changes everything. Jesus as Savior impacts me. But Jesus as Lord impacts me and everyone around me. Jesus as Savior is often deeply personalistic and privatized. Jesus as Lord retains the personal dynamic, but it is mission-orientated as a sent one and seeks to reflect Jesus to others. Jesus as Savior affects only the spiritual aspects of my life, but Jesus as Lord affects all of my life. It is holistic and all-encompassing. Bruxy Cavies once said this, when we make Jesus Lord, we get Jesus as Savior thrown in. That is, it becomes part of the total package. In Luke 14, we see that Jesus said, count the cost. He said, nobody goes and builds a house without counting what it's going to cost. He said, let me show you what you must suffer for my name's sake. He went on to say that if you're to be my disciple, you must forsake mother and father, sister and brother. It doesn't mean that we forget about them, but their words, their priority doesn't come above 
his in our lives. See, making Jesus Savior cost us nothing. It's a free gift. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace we have been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the free gift of God. But making Jesus Lord requires giving up everything. That we have to let it go. We see this example in Matthew, the 19th chapter, in the 16th and 17th verse. We see here that this is the rich young ruler that's coming to talk to Jesus in Matthew, the 19th chapter, verse 16 and 17. And he goes to Jesus and he says some words. He says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So I want you to take a moment and just reflect on that word, good master, because the, the, the terminology that he was using at the time in the Greek is called kalos. And what that means is a Greek attribute meaning beautiful inside and out. He was saying, Jesus, I've seen what you've done, and you're beautiful. Your actions are beautiful inside and out. You have good actions, an attitude, a good attitude. You're a good-hearted person. And Jesus knew that that's how he was seeing him, that he wasn't really seeing him as master and Lord. And so he asks Jesus, what good thing shall I do? And we see that Jesus responded. He said unto him, why callest thou me good? For there is none good but one. That is God. See, Jesus was redirecting him to the agathos good, which means good in character and nature, that the very essence of God is good, that he's absolute and consummately good, that every fiber of his being is good. So he wanted me to know it's not about the actions that we do here, but it's about following the one that is Agathos good. So he goes on to kind of give him a little bit. He says, but if thou would enter into life, Keep the commandments. If you don't want to make them truly your master, here's the other option that you have. Do all the commandments. Don't ever mess them up. Live a perfect life in following every aspect of the commandments, and you'll enter in. How many success stories do we have on that one? One. His name is Jesus. And so he goes on as we look down in verse 21 and 22. Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, see, he uses that word, go and sell that thou hast and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So Jesus was saying, here's how you can be perfectly righteous and holy in the sight of God. This is how you can be perfect because he is perfect, he's holy, is that you give it all up and you make me Lord. You don't hold on to anything else on the plate. Don't try to do the and one. You know, I just got to get some egg rolls. They look so good. I got to get my chicken on there. And I got to have a few extras, but that one course meal, and his name is Jesus. And he says, if you seek me, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. So he said, come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had so much on his plate. He had great possessions. He didn't want to walk away from the buffet. 
See, the practical examples of that is that, that we determine that everything we have belongs to God. As long as things belong to you, you belong to things. Give and it shall be given. Give back to God what belongs to him. None of it belongs to us. Making Jesus Lord means to deny self. Back in Matthew 16, we see that point of, Jesus, of Peter saying, Jesus, you're the Christ. We also see Peter just a few moments later rebuking Jesus and basically saying, you're not my Lord. When things go wrong, when things aren't the way I think they should be, you're not my Lord. So Jesus makes these statements in Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse 24 and 25, to all the disciples. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Set me apart in your heart. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. That if you give it up, Jesus is right there. That he holds it secure and safe. A couple of practical examples of this is when you want to stay home, get up anyhow. When you feel so tired and you just don't want to come to church, get up anyhow. When you don't want to read your Bible, just do it. Sacrifice. Lay your life down. When others offend you, don't lose your religion. Love on them. Love on them. So why would we want to make him Lord? Because it sounds kind of tough, doesn't it? Many people have decided to make Jesus their personal Savior, but have yet to truly embrace him as Lord. The first asks people to seek forgiveness of sins. The second summons people to a lifetime of devoted discipleship to Jesus. See, a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. That we answer to Jesus. A person who is a pupil or inherent to the doctrines of Jesus. Not our own doctrine. See, the important distinction with Christian discipleship is that we are not only called to learn the teachings of Jesus Christ, we are also called to live them. You ever heard that saying, easier said than done? See, Jesus will help us along the way, just like he did with the disciples of old. He walked with them and he talked with them. He reminded them who they are, whose they are, and where they're headed. He shared with them God's plan. He took them aside when they were going through trials. He reminded them that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That he that began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it to the day of redemption. See, the heart produces the disciple, not the other way around. When we give him our heart, it produces a disciple. If we give Jesus our heart to Lord over it, he will make us his disciple. See, as we tie back to the scripture that Peter was talking about, he says, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Maybe he was reflecting when he didn't really do that, when he would say things, but it wasn't rooted down in his heart. And over the time, he just realized Jesus is worthy of me following him. Jesus is good. And I know that the New Testament church, they're going through some trials, and I just want to write this letter 
They're going through some persecutions. It seems like things aren't going the way they should and people are coming against them. Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Allow Christ to be your treasure. Allow him to be first and foremost. Doesn't mean that those other things don't have a place. But as we seek him, all the rest falls into place. And so I want to cover you with these last words that we find in Luke, the sixth chapter, verse 45 and 48. As we endeavor to set apart him as Lord. The book of Luke, the sixth chapter, beginning at the 45th verse, says this. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Verse 47, whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. See, Jesus wants to show us off. And in our obedience and in our making him Lord, he has some very clear words to say to us what we look like. Look at verse 48. He is like a man which built a house. He counted the cost. He understood that he was going to go through some trials. But he knew who was well able to supply all of his needs. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep. He pressed towards the mark of the high calling that's in Christ Jesus, and laid the foundation on a rock. He is our chief cornerstone. He is the rock of ages. We can trust him. And when the flood arose in Louisiana and the waters got high and it looked like we were going to be underneath the flood and the stream beat firmly upon that house and it could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock. It was founded upon a rock. Remember what he said to Peter? Upon this rock I shall build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Upon this belief, upon you calling me Lord and allowing me to lead your life, the gates of hell will not prevail when he's set apart in our hearts. Amen? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He's worthy.